Well, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. That's where we'll start tonight, today, excuse me, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And then we'll be turning to the book of Matthew, chapter 12. Hebrews, chapter 12, then the book of Matthew, chapter 12. When we gather together, it's only fitting that we would direct our attention, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ, directing our attention to Him and exalt Him. When we're gathered together in His name, He, is, he has promised to be in our midst, and that's what we want to do when we get together. Our gathering does what our personal devotions cannot do. There's a dynamic that is present when we gather together that is not present in the prayer closet it's uh, when we gather together, Jesus, uh, Jesus promises to be in our midst. And that was in the context of, of a local church. And so we want him to be lifted up. With that in mind, there are times my wife and I will be walking at a mall. She'll have the, she'll, uh, at times we have the opportunity to travel together. And so we'll be walking together in a mall because we try to get a certain amount of steps in. Because when you're on the road, people want to feed you. They want to feed you all the time. And so, so that I can still fit into my clothes, uh, we, we do a lot of walking. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll listen to a book or a podcast. I'll have an AirPod in one ear. She'll have the other AirPod in the other ear. That way we could hear each other between us, but we could also hear what's going on. So uh, it looks strange. We're walking. We're, we're, we're focusing. Sometimes we will burst out in laughter. But that has a tendency to keep people away from you. Sometimes we will cry, we'll be weeping. Folks think, oh, look at that couple, they're having a struggle. Sometimes what we'll do, we're walking along and my wife just says a number. She says something like K-8, K-8, a letter with a number, K-8. And then I remember, because at first it's just out of the blue and it's out of context, I'm thinking of something else and, oh yeah, K-8, hey, you're right, definitely K-8. Or sometimes it'll be a C-7, yeah, definitely a C-7. Because while we're walking, we have a little game that we play, a little game. A lot of people come to the mall with their support animal. What we do is we rate the likeness on a scale of 1 to 10, rate the likeness of the animal with the owner. So a K-10 is like a canine, and owner, they resemble each other spot on. Because after a while, people do start to look like their dog or their dog starts to look like them. It's an amazing thing. So you can tell the new owner, K2, yeah, they haven't had time to adapt yet, K2, you're right, they don't look anything alike. Sometimes it's couples, that's what the C is for, couples. Couples, after a while, they look alike. They look just like each other, and and so so we'll do that. You know, C3, yeah, they're newly married, obviously, they they haven't been around each other enough. And then, then you have the C10, they are exactly alike, they're exactly alike, hairstyle, hair color, stature, exactly alike, they could be twins. Sometimes you hit the trifecta. You've got a couple that looks like walking a dog that looks just like them. And it's like, man, that's amazing. Let's go get ice cream. That's just, got to celebrate seeing that. But with that in mind, sometimes when we sit down to devotions, it's always a good idea to say, uh, to say okay, how do, I look, how do I look compared to Christ? What does my life look like compared to the Savior? Because we're supposed to be like him. In fact, this is the grand plan, isn't it? It isn't Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Is that, is that not a verse that talks about that that's God's plan? We know that all things work together for good to them that are the called according to his purpose, to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. All right, what are we called to do? We're called to be like Jesus. 
And so that's God's plan. He is bent on conforming us to the image of his son. So if there's a rough edge, he brings circumstances or people in to sand that roughness down so that you and I look more and more like Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 through 3, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, we see that we're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The, the, the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, you and I, we're as saved people, we still struggle with sin. There's some things that easily beset us. There's some things I'm prone to, you're not prone to. Some things you're prone to, I'm not prone to. And the Bible tells us how to handle that. We're to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You and I, because we're saved, we're no longer in sin's bondage. Sin is no longer in ownership over us. We have been set free. We can choose to serve God and to live for God. Paul tells us this. Whoever it is that we submit our members to, that's who we serve. So we submit our members to righteousness. We want to serve God. And then part of that plan is also in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So this faith involves running the race that's set before us. We've heard before, it's not, you're not running somebody else's race, you're running your own race. And so to maintain that, that race, to stay in that race, we keep our eyes on Jesus, we look unto Him, and that implies looking away from everything else, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, not looking to other believers, uh, though they can set a great example, but sometimes too, as believers, we can be very discouraging to others. So we look to Jesus and you can look at only one thing at a time, right? We can look at one thing at a time. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look at what it says here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But Hebrews is not through. Verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The key to the key remedy to, as you see here, being weary and fainting in our minds, the key remedy is focusing on Christ. Consider him which endured such contradiction of sinners against itself. Consider him, study him, drink him in. Jesus is sufficient for salvation, but, it, but we don't stop there. He is absolutely necessary and sufficient for sanctification. So let's see what kind of contradiction of sinners he faced. Let's see how he dealt with a situation. And when we look at how he dealt with a particular situation, keep in mind the hero of the situation, the central person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see how he deals with this situation that we'll look at, when we see how he deals with the situation, we also will be encouraged, I believe, will be encouraged uh, to, to maintain a faithful walk. But if we're casual, if we're compromising, if we're neutral when it comes to Christ, we'll see the, the need to, to stop, stop being neutral, to step out of that and to follow him more fervently. 
So for that, look with me over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Where it's under the banner, Consider him which endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And what we're going to do is in Matthew chapter 12, we're going to see there are basically one of two attitudes toward Christ. One of two attitudes. Now, our culture would have us to believe that there's a third attitude in between these two. But Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, will have us understand, no, there's only one of two attitudes. There's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, and looking all the way back to verse 22, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, here is what the Bible begins with. Matthew 12, 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? The passage in verse 22, the section that we're looking at, begins with a demonstration, a clear, unquestionable demonstration. And in this clear and unquestionable demonstration, because the passage will, will break down into four points, and, and so we look at the clear, unquestionable demonstration. What does Jesus do? You saw it. There was somebody brought to him who was possessed with a devil. This demon inside of this individual was keeping the person from seeing and was keeping the person from speaking. Jesus healed the person, which involved setting the person free from that demonic possession then so that the person could both see and speak. See and speak. Now, you could search the pages of the Old Testament. If you search the pages of the Old Testament, you would see that there were not miracles recorded of someone being healed of blindness and seeing, or someone being healed of dumbness and speaking, or someone being healed of deafness and hearing. You will not find that in the Old Testament because the ability to do those things belonged to one person. That's the Messiah. And those upon whom he would confer his authority, the apostles. So, so what we find here is this demonstration. This is a very public display where Jesus is demonstrating clearly, unequivocally, beyond answer, beyond shadow of a doubt, he is demonstrating that he is the Messiah. He is in his ministry over and over demonstrating that he fits the Old Testament pattern, blueprint of the Messiah. There is this wonderful miracle in verses 22 through 23. And then you find in verse 23, you find testimony. We will call this the attestation. People are giving this testimony. There's the demonstration. We're considering Christ. There's the demonstration. He's illustrating clearly who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's the promised one of the Old Testament. How will we recognize him? He'll be making the blind to see and the dumb to speak. He'll be setting those who are in bondage free. He'll be cleansing the lepers. He'll be raising the dead. He'll be preaching good tidings to the, to the poor. I mean, it's, it's all there. And he's fitting the blueprint. So these miracles are not uh, simply decorations on his ministry. They are evidences that he is the promised one of the Old Testament, 
that would be the Lamb of God that, that, that would take away the sins of the world. And the common people who see this recognize it. And so they give this testimony. You see it at the end of verse 23. Is not this the son of David? We know who he really is. This is, is not this the son of David? In other words, this is the heir to the Davidic throne. Messiah would be one who would occupy that throne forever. Is not this the Messiah? Is not this the one that the Old Testament promised? I mean, uh, look at the boxes that he's checking. Let's see. Uh, blind eyes see. Check. Deaf ears hear. Check. Mute tongues speak. Check. Lepers are cleansed. Check. The dead are raised. Check. He's preaching good tidings. Check. He checks all the boxes. This is the son of David. And I love the fact that it was the common people who knew their scriptures seemingly better than the religious crowd. They knew the evidences of what it would look like when Messiah would come. And no doubt there was a, something of a messianic expectancy. They expected the Messiah uh, around that time as well. But they, they recognized this guy fits the blueprint. If it walks like the Messiah, if it heals like the Messiah, if it sets free like the Messiah, it must be the Messiah. And so they give testimony to that. The people who observed the miracle knew enough of the Old Testament to know that this is the Messiah. We can recognize him by his actions. Let me share with you what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verse 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart. And the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. When John the Baptist was arrested and, and was facing impending martyrdom, John the Baptist, as you will recall, sent messengers to Jesus because John the Baptist was conflicted in that hour, that dark hour. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He pointed people to Jesus as the Lamb of God. But the reports that keep coming back to John the Baptist about Jesus of Nazareth are that he's, he's eating with gluttons. He's, he's dining with wine bibbers. He's, he's, this does not sound like the Messiah. And so he sends messengers to Jesus. Are you the Messiah or do we look for another? And instead of Jesus plainly saying, yes, I'm the Messiah, he says, let John, he says, show him, show him. Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind, this is Matthew 11, 4 through 6. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in him. It's echoed also in the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 7, verses 21 through 22. When the men were come to him, they said, John the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come or look we for another? And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way. Tell John what things ye have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. To the poor, the gospel is preached. Why, the common people got it right, didn't they? The common people got it right. Is not this the son of David? Is not this the one that we've been looking for? Is not this the Christ, the promised one of the Old Testament prophets? Is not this the Christ? 
So you have the demonstration, Jesus demonstrates. And I love how Luke puts that when John's followers come to Jesus and say, art thou, art thou he? Or do we look for another? It's, Luke almost gives us a sense there's a pause. It's almost as if they say, art thou he? Or look we for another? And the Lord kind of goes, and he heals and he sets free and he restores sight and he restores hearing and he looses muted tongues. And he says, all right, now, go tell John what you've seen and heard. Go tell John what you've seen and heard. Now, don't forget, the, sight, the, the blind have received their sight, the deaf have received their hearing, the mute tongue has been loosed. Uh, you watch, you saw, uh, lepers have been cleansed and, I, and you've heard what I preach. I preach good tidings to the poor, preach the gospel to the poor. Go by the evidence. Go by the evidence. There's that demonstration. There's the attestation. That is the testimony that the common people are giving. And then, oh, and then there's this accusation. An accusation. Notice what it says here in verse 24. And we'll look at uh, verses 24 and following. It says, and G, uh, it says in verse 24, when the Pharisees heard it, what did, it, what did they hear? They heard the common people. Is not this the son of David? And the Pharisees, oh, we can't have this. We, this is, we can't have this. Okay, uh, here's what's going to happen. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. That's the accusation. That is the most degrading insult they could have given to Jesus. Beelzebub, also known as the Lord of the Flies. Beelzebub also has another picture in it, and that picture is of cow dung being inundated with flies. They have called our Savior the ruler of the flies over the dung. That is so Degrading. That is so blasphemous that they would call the Messiah, who's clearly the Messiah. They would, they would say that he's doing miracles by Beelzebub, by the prince of the demons. That's a horrible thing. But people will stoop to very low places when it comes to rejecting Christ and his obvious ministry. Perhaps there's someone under the sound of our voice. You've heard the claims of Christ. You've maybe even seen the transforming power of Christ in somebody else's life. But you have taken the Christ and instead of elevating him, you relegated him to something below him, something as the lowest of low, the Lord of the flies that surround the cow dung. So we have the demonstration. He's demonstrated unequivocally. He is the Messiah. We have the testimony of the people who have seen it. This is not this the son of David. And then you have the accusation by the arrogant Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were people that felt that they were guardians of the law, guardians of the book. I credit them for that. They were so fastidious about keeping the law that they would make, that they actually have a book about laws to keep the laws. I appreciate that. But in their law keeping, in their checking of 613 boxes, they became arrogant. And in that arrogance, there were the seeds of hypocrisy that had taken root and grown and bloomed. And so rather than 
being receptive to the Messiah, they were rejecting the Messiah. And then you come to the refutation of their accusation. Remember, we're considering Christ. Lest we be wearied and faint in our minds, we're considering Christ. Notice what Jesus says in verse 25, what the Bible says. It says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? The first thing Jesus does is he shows that your accusation is illogical. If I'm building a house, I, don't know, I do not call a contractor in to tear it down. If I'm having something remodeled, I don't call somebody in to come in and destroy the structure. He said it's illogical. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And if, if what you said is true, if what you said is true, if I, by the power of Beelzebub, am casting out demons, then you should rejoice because the, the kingdom of Satan then is falling. We've turned on each other. The argument's not logical. A kingdom divided itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It's ridiculous to think that the ability to cast out demons was somehow given by the devil himself. And then their accusation is inconsistent because the Pharisees themselves, they have people in their ranks as well as children in their ranks, uh, younger, that is their sons or whatever, casting out devils. So by whose power are they casting them out? Will you apply the same standard to them that you've applied to Jesus of Nazareth? And that's what he says in the next verse, isn't it? In verse 27, And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. And so their argument, they're, they're putting Jesus in the category of, the, of, of having power that comes and authority that comes from the prince of the devils, Beelzebub. Their accusation is illogical. Their accusation is also inconsistent. It's inconsistent. And with this, then, we come to his conclusion. You've got, again, the demonstration, the clear demonstration. He's the Christ. You have the common people who are giving testimony. Is not this the son of David? You have the Pharisees and their arrogance getting their back up and says, he's casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And then you have Jesus' great refutation. Your argument, your accusation is illogical. And everybody's hearing it. And your accusation is inconsistent. And you can almost see the people in the crowd going, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. And then Jesus draws things to a conclusion, draws things to a conclusion. You, you, you take their accusation, you take it and apply it to the facts that people are seeing. And here's what Jesus says here in verse 28. But if I cast out, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? Jesus makes it clear 
that if, if, if I'm casting out devils by the Spirit of God, then it is a sign, a clear indication, a blinking, flashing light that says the kingdom of God is coming to you. So it's talking about how close the kingdom of God is. The other thing he says is that if I'm casting out demons by the power of the Spirit, then it also is a recognition of the fact that someone stronger than Satan, someone that's not on Satan's side fighting against Satan, someone that's stronger, that's more powerful than Satan is in your presence. Because before you you go into somebody's house, and you spoil their goods, that is, you take their possessions as your spoils of thievery, you've got to bind the strong man, or he's going to prevent you every way. And so, every step of the way. And so he says, I have come in, I have bound the strong man, I am more powerful than Satan. And, and, and so he makes it clear, two things. One, the kingdom of God has come to you. And number two, one who is stronger than Satan, more powerful, is in your presence. <coughs> and then... As if that's not enough, the Savior draws a line. You see it in verse 30. He that is not with me is against me. And he that scattereth, or see, he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. He that is not with me. That's talking about being on the way. On the way, being with the one who is the way. <clears throat> he that is not with me is against me. He is that, not, that is not with me going in the way is one who is against me or one who is in the way. Think of that. You know, I, um, I have some pastor friends that uh, God has used to do some amazing things. And I am so grateful for Pastor Kuhlman. I'm grateful for God's man in this place. And I'm grateful for what God is doing through him. Grateful for this place. I remember one pastor was moving through a building program. He said, there are some people you build with. There are some people you build around. Jesus says, you're either with me or against me. You're either on the way or in the way. You're either with me in agreement, he says, or you're against me as opposition. There is no neutrality. Holding back from him, holding back from knowing him, holding back from following him is not neutral ground. To stand, to stand in neutral ground is to actually stand against him. We can't stay neutral. Now, there are, there are three things, and William Barclay talked about this in a, in a publication called the Daily Bible Study Series, and he talks about three reasons why people might stand against the Lord, why they wouldn't be with Him. I thought this was kind of fascinating. He says there are three things which make people seek the impossible neutrality, and is that not what it is? The impossible neutrality. We call this message in the way, or excuse me, on the way or in the way, on the way or in the way. Why would people try to maintain that impossible neutrality? He says, number one, the sheer inertia of human nature. The sheer inertia of human nature. What does he mean by that? Some people want to be left alone. <laughs> they automatically shrink away from anything disturbing. And even a choice is considered a disturbance. 
I don't want to choose. <laughs> the sheer inertia of human nature. Leave me alone. You need to choose. Just leave me alone. He says the sheer flabbiness of human nature. Most people would rather have security than adventure. And the older they grow, the more that is so. A challenge always involves adventure. Christ comes to us with a challenge and we would rather have the comfort of selfish inaction than the adventure of action for Christ. And we do get that way, don't we? Especially kind of the older that we get. We can can become people of flabbiness. So it's leave me alone or it's I don't want to make a choice. To choose Christ means to get me out of my comfort zone. To choose Christ, to be ardent for Him, to be devoted for Him, disrupts my status quo. Or there's the sheer cowardice, that's what he says, the sheer cowardice of human nature. So you see it, there's the inertia, flabbiness, or cowardice. The voice of their neighbors is louder in their ears than the voice of the Lord. Sometimes, my friend, it's the voice of our family that's louder than the voice of the Lord. And sometimes we just need to lead, lead. Sometimes we need to lovingly take a stand and go in the right direction. Not in arrogance, not in a a legalistic Pharisaism, but just with a good attitude and a good spirit. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He says, we're afraid at times. The voice of our neighbors is louder in our ears than the voice of the Lord. We're afraid because someone may reject us or mock us or harm us. Am I truly on the Lord's side or am I sort of shuffling through the state of cowardly neutrality? He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And so here we're talking about a, a farming illustration, aren't we? If, you're, if we are with the Lord, we are gathering. We're seeking to bring people to Christ. Uh, we, we are seeking to be a light, letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. But if we're not doing that, if, 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 we're, if we're neutral, then we're pushing people away from Christ. If, we're not, if, we're, if we are neutral then we are giving the wrong testimony, the wrong image. If we're simply casual, then we're giving off the wrong message. That Jesus is not worth following. He's not worth obeying. He's not worth our loyalty. He's not worth our sacrifice. Boy, Jesus is so clear on this, isn't he? He that is not with me is against me. You know, sometimes in this casualness and in this inertia, Somebody will call us on something. And you know what we say? We say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? And we live under that philosophy. What's wrong with that? Paul would have us to prove all things, to cleave to that which is good. The question is not, what's wrong with that? The question is, what's right with that? And if there are things that are right with that, let's cleave to that. And let's be obvious followers of Jesus Christ. Let's be obvious followers of Christ. Let our allegiance, let our loyalty be unquestioned 
We are followers of Christ. This verse haunts me of late. He that is not with me is against me. We have verses that do that, don't we? We just can't seem to get them out of our minds and our hearts. This verse has been a verse like that of late with me. I'm glad there are no warnings. You've heard us say this before. Warnings about following Christ too much. <laughs> well, you've got to be balanced. I don't know. I'm not always sure what that means. Well, balanced carnality with spirituality? Balanced faithfulness with unfaithfulness? What do you mean? I've got to be balanced. I don't understand. Worldliness with godliness? What do you mean be balanced? There are no warnings about following Christ too closely, loving God too much. There are no warnings about being too holy. There are no warnings. But I find this verse just sticks in my heart. He that is not with me is against me. So let's be with him. Let's be with him. Let's be obviously for him. Tomorrow morning when we get up, have our time in the word of God, let's just begin the day and determine, I'm going to be with Christ. I don't want there to be any question. And what I say, what I do, what I watch, what I hear, what I read, where I go, I'm going to be with him. I cannot be neutral. 